Brother, if you guys want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2, we'll pick up at verse number 20, where we left off in our study through the book of Galatians. A couple more, Philip said that he had seen somewhere that Bobby Clay, some of their family, also has COVID. I'd actually be praying for that family. And I really probably need you to put the missions team on your, your prayer list at this point. We leave one week from Saturday going back to Costa Rica. Um, we're going back down to the Fincas where we... In 2019, prior to COVID, we were at the Fincas and we did a VBS, and then we did a revival at night over at um, Cortez at Pastor Glenn Morales, and we actually were working to build the church there in the Fincas, and now we're going back to build a building there. We haven't been back really since COVID, but really, COVID, anybody on that team gets that stuff now. It's, it's a game changer. It messes some things up, so I'd ask you to pray a hedge of protection. There's 12 people on that on the following Saturday, and I, I pray that you would ask God to anoint the trip ahead of us. I got some Spanish tracks supposed to be coming in so we can still share the gospel with people that we don't speak their language. Um, I pray that it be a fruitful trip. I pray that God would, would use us, but I've got great expectations of what God's going to do in the lives of us. Um, I, I know what He's done for me in the past, and I have great expectations of what He's going to do for myself and all those while, while we're down there. So Galatians chapter 2, we left off, we were looking at the law. We looked at how all the law could do is condemn. The law can't save, the law can't justify, the law can't sanctify. We looked at the fact that no one tried keeping the law more so than Saul of Tarsus. I mean, Saul was adamant. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He did everything he could to keep the law. So Paul understands exactly what grace Means. So we looked at Romans chapter 7, verse 9, where Paul said, I am dead to the law. Anybody here dead to the law? Thank you, Jesus. We are dead to the law. And he says that we're dead to the law that we might live unto God. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, he said, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, shalt not steal, shalt not bear false witness, shalt not covet. There be any other commandment briefly comprehended to say, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We don't have to worry about keeping all of that other stuff, all those other 613 Levitical law. We don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. If we love God, love our neighbor, then we'll keep all the law. That's what he says. It's all about love. Now, here's the deal. I talked about the law a pretty good bit last week <laughs> and about how the law condemns. And, and if you remember, we looked at several Old Testament passages from the law. And they shall be put to death. And they shall surely be put to death. And they shall surely be put to death. And it was on and on and on and on about the law. But, but I don't insinuate that the law is a bad thing. The law wasn't a bad thing. Jesus Christ is the law. He fulfilled the law because he is the law. Jesus is everything that the law states. He is purity. He is, is perfect and com complete. So he was the completion of the law. His life was a picture of what it would look like if we could keep the law. If we could have fulfilled the Old Testament law, the Levitical law, all those things, the life of Christ is a picture of what it would, would look like because he kept every line, every, every dot, every comma, everything was perfect. He fulfilled the law because he is the law. So it's not that the law was bad. And I spent a lot of time last week talking about the law and how the law would condemn us. And the law does condemn us, but it's not to, to insinuate that, that the law is bad. It's just that it was impossible for us as sinners to keep the law. Anybody say amen? 
I'm, I'm, I'm on the salvation side of Calvary, and I still can't keep the law. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not by myself here on Wednesday night, am I? Anybody else still struggle with the flesh? Anybody else still battle? All those things are against the law. So, so it's not that the law is bad. The law still exists. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He just fulfilled the law. And just like Paul told us, he fulfilled the law through the law of love. Love is what conquers all things. Now, for the Old Testament Jew, the law was a standard. The, the law was a, a system. It was this rigid set of rules that, that had to be followed, but it was impossible for anybody to keep it except for, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. So now, on, on this side of Calvary, the, the law as a system is obsolete. The veil was rent in twain on, on the day of Calvary from, from top to the bottom. And, and the law, God there at Calvary, he, he rendered the old system void and he instilled a new system called the dispensation period of grace. I truly believe with all my life of all the dispensation periods to the age of innocence and the age of man and all the way up to the law and then on over into grace, we live in the best time planet Earth has ever seen since Adam and Eve's sin, because we are in the dispensation period of grace. And, and we can be thankful for mercy, and we can be thankful for grace. There is nothing greater than the grace that God has bestowed upon us. For by grace are we saved through faith. So, so now that, that Paul is in Christ, Paul has, when he was Saul, he tried to keep the law. We know that. He earnestly tried, and that's what he was doing when he was on his way to Damascus and he met Jesus. But, but on the other side of Calvary, now that he's met Christ, he, he boldly steps out of the law, and he steps over into resurrection ground. And he says here in chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself for me. I am crucified, nevertheless I live. One of the most important passages in all of the New Testament. I told you last week that was my signature on my phone always. And no matter how many texts, every text that went out had Galatians 2.20 until I got an iPhone. And that old backslid iPhone won't let you put a, a thing like that on it. So I no longer have that signature. And that's just one of the reasons I ought to go back to an Android uh, so Dale would kill me because it all works in the staff. So reality is, is, is it, it wasn't just a reminder to everybody that sent a text. Y'all, how many, y'all, do y'all do a lot of texting? My wife says I don't. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so here's the deal. Out, out of everything that goes out and however many hundreds it might be, it's not just that my phone said Galatians 2.20 to who I sent it to. My phone told me Galatians 2.20. Every time I hit send, every time I did a message, so all day long, my phone, sending messages, my phone was reminding me, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Live a life pleasing to God. Let Christ be visible in you. Let your light shine. You know, you're standing in that line when you're waiting like, man, you really need all that stuff. You knew you didn't have enough money before you got it. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever getting them kind of lines? And, and, and you're just about to get frustrated, and, and then you get a text, and you look, and you read it, and you just do something, and you do one little icon, and you send it back, and then your phone reminds you, smile. I'm crucified with Christ. Don't, don't let this get the better of you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was important to me. It was a great reminder. It was, it was, it was a favorite verse to, to have there, so I used it a lot. Um, 
But I, I, I told you Sunday, I went ahead and kind of, I couldn't help it. I thought about it Sunday. And, and I went ahead and, and gave this. But Jesus, Jesus died for us to, to take care of everything. And he, he didn't just die for us. He died as us. He took my place. He took your place. He took what should have been ours, and, and he bore it upon himself. Even though he was completely sinless, he came and paid the debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. And so he came here, and, and he died as us. He, he took our place. He was identified with our sin. That means he suffered the full penalty of the law. Jesus Christ, who is the law, the completion of the law, the perfection of the law, he suffered all of the penalty. He suffered the complete wrath of a holy, righteous, sin-hating God who would pour wrath out on sin because of the separation from his holiness, and he poured all of it out on, on his son. So, so death, death nullifies obligations. Anybody owe anybody something right now? Death nullifies that, don't it? See, death nullifies obligations. So in the death of Christ, we as believers, when we accepted Christ, we, we were nullified to all the demands of the law. Paul says, we now live in Christ. He, goes, he, he says, nevertheless, I live. So when Jesus rose from the grave, we rose from the grave victorious. When Jesus stepped onto resurrection grounds, we stepped on to resurrection ground. The, 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 that, that's the truth of our identification with Christ. But there's more than just identification. Paul said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can't you just see Paul as he's trying to explain this to Peter? In case y'all forgot, this little dialogue is between Paul and Peter because Peter was, was acting like he liked the Galatians. He was being friendly with, with the um, Gentiles, and he was eating at their house, and he was fellowshipping with the Gentile church until James sent some men down from Jerusalem. And when the Jews, legalistic Judaizers, came down and got around Peter, all of a sudden Peter became two-faced. Now all of a sudden Peter doesn't have anything to do because he don't want these Jews to see him hanging out with the Gentiles. So he changes. Y'all remember, that's how all this dialogue started, right? Don't, don't lose track. That's an important part of Scripture to always remember where it was written, what it was written to, who it was written to, and what it was about. So, so here, I, I, feel like, I feel like Paul is, is, is probably trying to emphasize to Peter, brother, don't you get it? It's not about law anymore. He's, he's trying to, to emphasize it, it's about the law. I mean, it's about the Lord now. Jesus, Jesus died for us. That was to take care of past tense, but, but he lives in us to take care of present tense sin. We looked at that sometime in the last couple of weeks. Jesus didn't just pay for the sins of my past. He prayed for the sins of my, I mean, he died for the sins of my present, and he died for the sins of my future. He covered all of them. He's not going to have to go back to the cross, and I'm not going to have to keep going back and asking to, to be resaved. He, he washed away all of my sins. The law has nothing to do with it. The law's day ended 
at Calvary. The law died there, and then the dispensation of grace is born. Now, living for the Lord in, in our day is not a matter of keeping the law. It is a matter of Christ living in me. It is a matter of Christ living in, inside of us. We, we do what we do because we are what we are. We have to make a willful choice. Every single decision of every minute of every day, we decide, am I going to act like me or am I going to let Christ live in me? There's a lot of times I, I could much rather act like me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know nobody gets on y'all's last nerve, but there's sometimes people can just get on mine. Fortunately, I don't have a megaphone with a microphone on my car, or I would have to say some stuff to some folks. Because Lord knows. I mean, there's one today. I don't know why people drive. I know they ain't got no driver's license. You can't drive that bad and have a driver's license. So, so you, you have to make a, a willful choice. Am I going to act like me? Or am I going to let Christ shine through this? See, if we want people to see Christ in us, it's got to be done in adversity, not just on the mountaintops. we we got to let Christ shine all the time. So if we truly are a child of God and we're filled with the Spirit of God, then, then we're going to love people according to the will of God. I was thinking about this when I was studying last week. I talked about some in the staff meeting yesterday. Do you ever wonder what Peter's response is to this? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that. It doesn't get into what Peter says, but <laughs> I, can, I can tell you what I think Peter's response probably was. I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to an opinion, even if it's wrong, right? It's my opinion. It don't matter if it's wrong. But you know when he's alive, we, we act, there's a scene acted out right over here, Peter, James, and John. And Peter's all been out of shape because the Pharisees keep mocking Jesus and doing that, if y'all know he's alive, right? And Peter pulls out his sword and he said, I would, John. If, if Jesus would just give the word, I would slaughter them, John. And, and, and John says, sure, Peter. I'd be right there with you, brother. And sword in hand. And Michael Jones is an awesome actor as Peter. Would you, John? Would you, brother? And he, and he puts up his sword and, and John begins to explain to him, right here, right here, there's a little blue light somewhere around here that shines in the night scene. And right here, John begins to tell him about the things that Jesus said and, and talk about the, the scripture and how Jesus, and, and, and Peter stops, he says, forgive me, brother. I'm beginning to see how we can have victory through Jesus. Y'all know the part, right? See, I, I, I believe that's probably what you get out of Peter right here. For, for, forgive me, brother. For, I, 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 I'm, I'm starting, I'm starting to, to see. I, I didn't mean to offend the Gentiles. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to, to, to act different. It's not, it's not like Peter doesn't know what Paul is telling him here. You know, for all of us, sometimes life gets in the way. Y'all go ahead and say Amen. Everybody ain't sick. So, so, sometimes for, for all of us, things, things just get in the way. You know, sometimes, sometimes we begin to drift and we don't even realize it. So, sometimes you, you can begin to get off. It doesn't take much to get off the straight and narrow. It doesn't take much to get a little sideways. It doesn't take much to get a little out, and you begin to drift, and we, we all do, you, you don't even realize you're getting out. Sometimes you just need for somebody to come along beside you and say, hey, brother, 
Let, let, me, let me point something out. Let, let, let me tell you what I see. Do you, know, do you know you can see in me what I can't see? I go to messing up. I get out of kilter. I get something. You can see it. Sometimes other people can see in you what you don't see because, you know, excuses sound great to the ones making the excuses, right? And you begin a little out of something. Sometimes you just need a brother or sister in Christ come on beside you and say, hey, hey, let me share something. And, and I don't know, I don't know that maybe that, that's not what's going on here with Peter. See, the devil doesn't try to draw Christians away by just getting you to wake up one morning and say, see it. Ain't serving God no more. Not reading my Bible no more. Not praying no more. Wiping all them Christians out of my phone. Don't, don't, nothing do it. That, that's not the way the devil works. That's not the way the devil works. It's, it's that slow drift. It's, it's that slow drift. If he can just get you to make a micro move off kilter, it's unnoticeable. It's so small. But if he can add micro moves to micro moves to micro moves, you don't even realize that you're drifting, but you wind up getting out. And, and that, that's how the devil works. Christians, how many of you know somebody that was rock solid in church and they were always here and you never thought you'd see them out of church, but they ain't been to church in years? Anybody know anybody like that? Can, can I tell you all my heart? I believe not one of them woke up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm through going to church. Just not going anymore. It was one morning they were faced with a decision, and there really wasn't a reason not to go to church. They made a willful choice not to go, maybe on a Sunday morning. It was a very difficult choice, but they said, I'm sleeping in, I'm tired, I ain't getting up. And they made a willful choice not to go. That is a micro-movement in the wrong direction. It was just one Sunday morning. It was just one Wednesday night. But, but it was a hard decision. But can I tell you, the second time is easier. And, and then all of a sudden, you can miss a Sunday, and it's not that hard. You just can't miss two in a row. Well, I got to go this week because I missed last week. And then all of a sudden, something comes up, and it was just that willful choice to miss two weeks in a row. They never opted to get out of church. I've used the example to you guys a lot of times. Nobody ever got up in the morning getting dressed to go to work, said, I think I'm going to go to work and destroy my home, destroy my marriage, destroy my testimony. All they did was went to the water fountain, and they met somebody of the opposite sex, and they had a friendly conversation. And before you know it, two or three years down the road, the devil don't care how long it takes to ruin your life as long as it's ruined. The devil don't care how long it takes to destroy your testimony as long as he destroys your testimony. And it all can begin with a slow drift. See, I think that's what, that's what Paul sees right here, something in Peter. He sees a drift. He sees that Peter's actions have been affected because of somebody else's presence, and it's affected negative. And he goes, hey, brother, that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. You're either going to be the law or grace, but it's all about grace. So, sometimes, sometimes we just got to pick each other up. Sometimes you just got to be friend enough to tell a friend the truth. And, and, and I believe that's what Paul does right here. He, he just, with all my heart, I don't believe Peter meant to offend those people. I, I, know, I know Peter's a type A personality, but there's reasons I don't hold things against those kind of people. I, I don't believe Peter at all meant to offend the church at Galatia. I don't think he meant to offend Paul. I don't think he meant to offend the person that he didn't go to the house for dinner. I don't think he meant to offend them. 
But it doesn't change the fact that the, the wrong reason was why he didn't go. And, and Paul saw something there. there. There's no telling where it would have ended up had Paul not, not stepped in. But then Paul has a, a final word here for Peter. Actually, for anybody that is holding on to legalistic values, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. See, it all boils down to a choice. Is it law or is it grace? Are we saved by our efforts to keep the law? Or are we saved by amazing grace? Anybody have an answer? It's all about grace, saved by grace. It has to be one of the two. It, it can't be both. I, I've shared before, but that, that, that's a problem. That's a problem that I have with the things that I was taught growing up in a Pentecostal background. That, that's a problem I have with that because I was taught to be saved. I was taught in a Pentecostal church the only way to be saved was by the blood of Jesus. Now, they didn't mean to teach me this, but this is what they taught me. But if you can't keep the law, you lose your salvation. That's what they're telling you. you got to get saved. you got to get saved in the blood of Jesus. But if you break the law, if you break the law, then you're lost again. Now, you can get re-saved again. Well, how? See, I never could understand, even, even as a young man, there's a such thing just getting frustrated with it and saying, you can have it. You can have it. I'm done with it. I thank God for his long suffering and not giving up on us when we gave up on him. I was taught the truth, but there was wrinkles. There was a lot of legalistic stuff. I had to dress the right way or I didn't fit in. You had to listen to the right kind of music or it wasn't no good. And you had all these legalistic values attached to it. And that it had to, it had to be the way they thought it had to be church or it wasn't any good. Well, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees said, you got to look like me. You got to be, you got to be dressed up and you got to have your long robes and your phylacteries and, and your hat. And if you want to be holy, you got to look like me. They were more lost than anybody out there. So, so, so what, what that method teaches is that you are saved. If, if I can be saved, but then when I break the law again, I can be lost. Then that means I'm saved by grace, and I'm kept saved by the law. They'll argue with you and tell that's what they're saying, because I've had this conversation. A lot of my family, I got cousins. We have conversations. I got cousins that are Pentecostal preachers right now. When, when I preached Regina's funeral, my cousin told me, oh, man, only thing Baptist about you is that piece of paper you got with doctor on it. Man, that's a, that's a Pentecostal message. No, so that ain't a Pentecostal message. I appreciate the flowers, but that's a Jesus Christ message. And he and I ain't never going to agree that you can lose your salvation. I hate to have to live with that because it truly is saying the blood of Jesus gets you saved, but it ain't strong enough to keep you saved. If I can lose it, then it wasn't strong enough to hold on to me. If I have to earn it to keep it, then where's grace in all that? See, that, that's not real, and that's what Paul's saying. It's either law or it's grace. You choose. Well, you can't choose the law because the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ through love. And now that law has been fulfilled, we're in the dispensation of grace, and it's all about grace. If you are saved, you are saved by grace. Dr. Randy Rye, y'all know Dr. Randy Rye? couple of nobody? Somebody know Dr. Randy Rye called me yesterday, and, and, and we were talking. And he, and he said, 
how you doing, brother? I said, man, I'm doing great. How are you? He said, man, I'm still saved. I said, that's good, brother, because the last time I checked, it won't wash off. See, I'm excited to know I, I, got, I got washed in a blood that won't wash off. My sins got erased with an eraser that won't rewrite. It, it's, it's not coming back. My past isn't coming back. My past is past. And, and so that, that's what Paul is putting out. He says, he says here, I do not frustrate the grace of God. That word that he uses, frustrate there, it means, in the Greek word, it means to disannul. So Paul says, I don't look at the grace of God, or he says, I don't look at the grace of God as though it's been rendered null and void. That's what the law implies. At Calvary, Jesus fulfilled all the law, and he established grace. Thank God grace is all we need. Well, mercy helps. But the mercy comes with the grace. I, I thank God for mercy that's not going to give me what I deserve because God knows I deserve it. I, I believe every one of us in this place knows if God sent us to hell right now, he'd be right and justified in doing so. But he never will. But it's not because of anything I've done. It's not because of anything we've done. The only thing we've done is accepted a free gift. In Jesus Christ, grace is God's method of restoring fallen man. There had to be a way. The law was a temporary fix. The, the law was a way they could try. But grace is God's finished plan. Grace is God's method of restoring the fallen man. So when God rent the veil, the law was rendered null and void. Now, Paul's not about to let Peter or, or James or, or really anybody else for that matter come in and get away with, with preaching one thing and living something else. And that's, that's what he saw there in Peter. So, so he closes out with, with salvation. Um, he says, if, if salvation was obtainable through keeping of the law, then Jesus died for nothing. If salvation was by, by grace, but then to stay saved, it had to be by the law then Jesus died for nothing. If I could keep the law, I didn't need a Redeemer. Amen? If I could keep the law on this side of Calvary, even though it is different, it is different, we all know that, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. When we got saved, it is the Holy Spirit that helped break bad habits. It is the Holy Spirit that cleaned us up. It is the Holy Spirit that began to guide our steps. But every one of us in here knows, Holy Spirit, and you're not. You still battle with this old sin-cursed flesh. And, and the battle is there. So even on this side of Calvary, filled with the Holy Spirit and washed in the blood, I still can't keep the law. If I could keep the law now, then I could have kept the law then. Because I'm in the same flesh now that I was then. I've just been washed in the blood. I've been born in the Spirit. I've been reborn. And now my name's written down in glory, but it's the same law. So if I could have kept the law, Paul said, if you could keep the law, then Jesus came for nothing. Remember, Paul didn't do this in a private setting, right? Remember, we, we pointed that out when we were looking. He, he said, they're doing this sin in front of people. I'm going to confront them in front of people. Chapter 2, verse 14, remember it said that when, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. So, so this, isn't, this isn't some private reprimand. Now in chapter 3, and I, I know we're, we're not there yet, but chapter 3, 
uh, verse number one here at Galatians, Paul turns his, his attention to the members here at, at Galatia, the, the church members. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. The, the word used there for foolish, that's the same word that Jesus used when, when he was walking with the two men on the road to Emmaus, and he said, O fools, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus pointed out that they hadn't fully read or they had not fully comprehended the scriptures. They had not fully understood the significance of Calvary. The same word Paul used in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He said, I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. The word unwise, the same word that's translated fool and foolish in those. And Paul describes himself as a debtor. He says to the foolish here in this text, he says, who bewitched you? That word bewitched comes from the word it means to fascinate or, or here's one, it, it means to hypnotize. Paul says, who is it that you have allowed to cast a spell on you to to hypnotize you so that you believe the lie that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth. That evidently set forth, Paul says, hey, you can't say you didn't know. I, I've been here. I know what you know because I taught you the scriptures. I brought it here. I, I know that, that the evidence, the truth of the gospel has been clearly set before you, so there's no reason why you wouldn't know the truth. Why would you allow someone else to come in and pervert you with the law? That's not just a yesterday's problem. That's a today's problem. There's still, there's still cults. There's still groups. There's still organizations perverting the Word of God every day. See, the, the, the problem, if, if there was a problem in that, that, that what the law had working against it there in these Judaizers, is, is that the law is God-breathed. Amen? We know that the law was written by the finger of God. And, and they have that as their testimony. We know this comes from God. We know Moses. We know what he did. They said, as, as for this man. Well, the problem with that is if, if you exclude, you can't exclude the fact that the writing of the law is not God's final act. The writing of the law is not the last thing God did. He didn't put the law out and put it in the commandment and, and leave it. That was not his final gesture. Calvary comes along and established a new covenant. So what the law has in, it, in its favor is that it was God's holy commandment, and, and they use it. But when it's used out of context, that's where the fault comes in. See, that, that's, why, that, that's why cults thrive the way that they do today. Most people... Most people will listen if you say the Bible says. Talk about the Bible, a lot of people, and I, that, that number's growing less and less. In my day, you talk about the Bible, everybody pay attention. You mention the Bible and all that bad crowd around, just stop cussing. You just bring the Bible up. We're in a different day today, but, but, but it doesn't change the fact that the cults of the day, that they thrive by saying, well, the Bible, they say, well, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So you got your seventh day sitting there saying you got to keep Saturday holy. But because that was a commandment, they're trying to hold on to it. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, and, and your Pentecostal uses, Forbid not to speak with tongues. Well, listen, the devil used the word of God. 
Amen. The devil uses the word of God out of context. He did it to Eve. Hath God said, and he took God's word, and he barely changed what God said, but nonetheless, he changed it. He took God's word, and he used it out of context then, and it worked then, and it's working now. He hadn't quit using God's word. He just uses it in pieces. You can take the word of God and make it say whatever you wanted to say. If you take it out of context, you can pick and choose scriptures. You can say, you, 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 you can say um, <clears throat> well, well m- money is evil. That's not what the Bible says. God don't care how much money you got. If he did, he wouldn't give it to you. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's to desire money over the things of God. It's to be more focused on working on Sunday than going to church. It's to be more focused on putting money in a bank account than helping sow into a ministry. It's a love of money. You can take God's Word, and you can take anything out of context, and you can make it say whatever you want. But you cannot take the Old Testament and use an Old Testament passage and not apply the New Testament addition. The Old Testament is simply a shadow of things to come. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You can't take one over here you take the law and stand on the law and not remember the fact that the law was fulfilled through Christ. And now we have the love of Christ. And now it's about mercy. And now it's about grace. But that's what cults do. They take it on the fact that the Bible says. Well, the Bible says. Well, the Bible, and people listen. And here's the deal. They're usually versed enough that they know what the Bible says because they've been taught what they're supposed to say. And as long as you don't know the right answers, they'll confuse you. If you don't know the right answers, you're better off not talk to them. You're better off push your Jehovah's Witness off the front porch. Invite them to step off, and if they don't step off on their own, help them. In the, in the love of Jesus. See, the, the devil continues to use Scripture backwards, to use bit, bits and, and pieces. Mount Sinai brought us the law. Mount Calvary brought us grace. Mount Sinai is the finger of God. It is the commandments of God. It is God's law, but it's not God's last act. Calvary fulfilled that law, and it changed things for us. Somebody ought to say amen. Now, those who are, are ignorant of the truth or they choose to ignore the truth, they end up distorting scriptures, and in doing so, they, they lead people astray through a misrepresentation of the God. Listen, error is error. Error is error. If it comes out of my mouth up here and it is inconsistent with this book, I hope surely to God somebody loves me enough to come and say, hey, brother, you made a mistake. Because if it isn't consistent with this book, it's wrong. This, this, this is life. This is our commandment. This is, this is the love. This, this is everything. And, and anything that comes out in, in bits and pieces and, and changed around. And see, that's what people do when they say, well, the Bible says, and they go to turn. And they, they seem to be authoritative because they use the Scripture. And they go, well, over here in, in, in Nehemiah, it says, and, and they seem to be authoritative just because they use that, that slogan, the Bible says. And that's what the Judaizers did to the church at Galatia. 
They, they, they said the law says, and because the law was written by the finger of God, they used that to convert and to change, to, to persuade, to hypnotize these Gentile believers. And, and Paul says, why? It's not like you didn't have the truth. It's not like you didn't know the truth. Stand on the truth. Don't, don't let people come in and distort the truth. Don't let people come in and change what you know. Study the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Learn it for yourself and, and how, how the Holy Spirit. And don't let people change what you know. So, so Paul turns and he asks him a question about his salvation. Verse number 2, he said, This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Well, I'm two minutes past, because we try to do 8 o'clock on Wednesdays, because they're going to let your kids out, and I don't want you to have to catch them in the parking lot. So we probably need to finish up right there. Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up right there next week. Um, yeah, next week. I'll be here Sunday, be here Wednesday. Um, so, Lord willing, that'll be a really good place for us to pick up. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for being so good, God. Thank you for mercy. It truly is unmeasurable. Thank you for grace. It just keeps on giving, God. Thank you for a love that we'll never understand, for loving us in spite of us the way that you do, God. You've been good to us, Father. Our lives truly are the evidence of your goodness, Father. Lord, I ask you as we walk out, Lord, I pray you touch everybody in this place. Lord, I pray you touch every family, every home. Place a hedge of protection around them as they travel home. Lord, tomorrow, Lord, I pray you'd use each one of us throughout the day. May, may we... Tell somebody about Jesus, God. May we let somebody see Christ in us and, and Christ through us, Father. I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you, Lord. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.